Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. So hello, listeners. I don't know if you've been on Clubhouse yet. It's the new social media app that's audio only. It's an absolute ball, and I've made some great connections on those. And our today's guest is one of those people that I met. Sherry Williams Franklin is um, somebody who co-moderates the room on global business that we do on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. She's an absolute gem. She is uh, got a lot of experience in international manufacturing and now she's launched her own company so I'm really looking forward to this uh, talk with her today so Sherry welcome thank you so much for having me I'm excited to chat today yeah yeah me too we chat so much these days (laughs) (laughs) we do we chat without seeing each other so we're actually recording this on video and it's fun to see your face (laughs) ditto So you, you know, I know we were talking about you've got years of experience in global manufacturing, but I'm kind of curious, what was your first exposure to another culture or language? Yeah, so well, my first exposure to a foreign language was in high school. I think we all had to take a foreign language and I, I took up Spanish and could not pass it to save my life. <laughs> I had to retake a foreign language in college because I did so bad in high school and I switched to French and I actually passed. And so, bonjour, je m'appelle Cherie, honey. I tell you what, it was much easier for me. Merci, okay? I mean, I could not master Spanish to save my life. So French is uh, a language that I'm, you know, I don't use often, but I've got a couple words in my belt. We went to Paris uh, two Christmases ago um, with my daughter. She was reading uh, the little American Girl book about Grace who went to uh, France for uh, the holidays to visit her family. So we surprised her with a trip right up the day after Christmas uh, 2019 and popped out to France um, and just let her spend Christmas there. And it was amazing. And she learned some words and uh, it's a great, great city. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so college is, you know, the first time you connect with another language. And then did you go on to to the manufacturing companies right then? Or what did you do? Like, how did you get into international manufacturing then? Yeah, so um, I graduated from, um, you know, undergrad with a, ma- uh, with a bachelor's in uh, speech communication and a minor in journalism. So um, immediately after college, I landed a job. I hadn't even graduated yet. I was still in school and I landed a job with a Pactive Corporation, which is a, you know, now a $3 billion <laughs> manufacturing company. They're essentially the parent company of Hefty and Easy Foil and Cordite. Um, and so I started 
started with them. They're here in uh, Illinois and uh, right out of school. And so I spent almost 10 years with that company and moved from, you know, inside customer support to sales um, and then product development and then leading a, uh, you know, business unit that was focused on selling into the convenience store segment. So, um, yeah, that manufacturing company was global. And so being in product development, we did a ton of product launches. Um, I was on that team. And so it was my responsibility really to uh, roll out new products, new ideas. Uh, our department was also responsible for acquisitions. So as we looked to start new businesses across the country, there were some things that we would have to do internally to vet them. So that was my first exposure to um, international sales and really getting into an, an international, you know, manufacturing type environment. Oh, so fascinating. So take me through either an acquisition or a product you developed and what countries you did it with the idea that a listener here may have products that they want, want to launch internationally. So telling your story will give a lot of information. Yeah, so um, we had, we're always looking for new sustainable um, products. And one of them was uh, this term they call bagasse, which is essentially just molded pulp fiber. Um, and it's made in China. And so we started to look for companies there that we could acquire or work with in order to bring that distribution channel to our, you know, to the U.S. So we wanted uh, some of those resources here to test and to see if it was a good option for us. So with any acquisition or any distribution strategy, our goal was always to find a local company doing it. Um, and spend a little time getting to know them. So we would try to source things from them, understand like, hey, how are they doing in terms of their performance? Are they, you know, getting the products here that we need when we need them? Um, you know, how is it working with them? Really, that's our way to get in, right? To understand our business and to understand the flow. And it's a partnership agreement um, that allows you to really dig in and ask questions that you can't, you know, ask as a competitor. And so that's the initial strategy, I think, for most manufacturers without giving too much of their, you know, secret sauce away. Um, but that's the approach. And then from there, once you learn a little bit more, then you start to make the determination on, are there synergies between our companies that make sense? What are some of the gaps in our, in our uh, product offering that they can potentially fill? And does it make sense to move forward um, with an acquisition? And so um, my, my boss at the time, he was responsible for acquisitions, which means I was responsible for acquisitions. <laughs> and I was responsible for building some of those relationships and having some of those conversations. Um, and a lot of that happens over the phone, um, some, uh, some in person. It really just depends on the nature of the relationship. So yeah, that was my... Uh, it's been a little bit of my background in manufacturing. Okay, so you really have to, you have to form a relationship for a partner and then talk about synergies and gaps, which is a pretty hefty conversation yep. before you even move forward with the acquisition. How, what kind of cultural challenges did you have? Well, you know, there are times where you need a translator, right? Um, uh, whether it be uh, verbal or written communication. So that's a person you have to have on the team. Um, as we look to bring products from there, uh, from, you know, outside of the U.S. into the U.S., we have to look at the labeling. We have to make sure that um, they're using what we would 
consider to be approved because not all products are going to come to our, you know, one facility, they may go out to multiple distribution centers. And so with that, you have to make sure that you're giving them direction on how to ship things here. Of course, custom forms, all of those things um, play a part. Um, but really, you know, translation is big, as you know, um, making sure that we're, again, translating all of our communication appropriately, utilizing the wrong term, utilizing the wrong color um, outside of the U.S. can be a challenge. Um, you have to make sure that the imagery is, is aligned with uh, the culture. Um, so, yeah, we ran into some of those as we look to you know, bring some of our U.S. products in outside of the U.S., but also bringing in um, exports. What, can, can you think of a time when you did run into a, a challenge with the term or color or image or, you know, I love funny stories and, you know, I don't want to, there's a German word for it, laughing at the misfortune of others. I don't want to go there, but educate, you know, telling a story about a time that you guys made a mistake or you saw a mistake is educational. Yeah, there was a, um, uh, uh, one of our colleagues actually had created a logo um, for a new cup that we were going to launch. And um, it was a environmentally friendly product, not with Pactive Corporation, um, different manufacturer. And um, they had come up with various logos and one looked like a finger um, not the middle finger, but more of like a thumbs up, which isn't always well received. And so um, we had to adjust that. So, you know, it wasn't a, a blunder that others would have seen in the marketplace. It's behind the scenes when you're doing that initial testing and sending out information for review. Um, the feedback was not positive. And so um, before we launched anything, we always um, sit down, review it, make sure that we have multiple um, people weigh in on it, especially at the local level. We want someone that is culturally, you know, aware to review it and make sure that it's aligned and we haven't missed anything. So you'll never see huge manufacturers make a, a major blunder in the market openly. Most of those mistakes will happen behind the scenes. Okay, right. And that's so, so smart that you had in-country people review it before you'd release anything. So that's doing Absolutely. your market research. <laughs> well, there's plenty of stories of mistakes out there. I mean, we put them on our LinkedIn um, all the time. And you brought up something really interesting, too, about gestures and fingers, because the thumbs up, the okay sign, how you motion for people to come towards you, whether it's the hand up or the hand down, um, they can all have a different meaning right and like shaking hands what greetings are even appropriate you know not everyone um you know not every culture shakes hands they feel like it's dirty which now we know they were right <laughs> giving the pandemic i don't want anyone to even like wave at me too close so uh, they were on to something that we weren't and yeah. uh, i think that's that's right you're, you're spot on there so you did a lot of, a lot of traveling in this job then I did. Um, in one of my last uh, roles with a different manufacturing company, um, I was basically in Canada every other week. And so I remember getting stopped um, because I had just gone home on Friday and I flew back on Monday for a meeting. And they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you here so much? I almost didn't make the meeting. My entire team 
was waiting in the rental car for me because I was held up in customs because I was there too much. And they wanted to know, why are you here so much? Why do we have to stamp you so often? And so that I have that has not happened to me often, but uh, that was my, one of my last trips to Canada. I was like, I need to slow down. Clearly I'm doing too much. When you're, you know, you have one suitcase packed and you don't unpack it, you just get the toiletry bag and pack a new one. I think it's time to slow down and maybe rethink your life. So that was me for a period of time. Oh my goodness. I can't, I have never heard that, that somebody <laughs> stopped because they've been coming in too much, yes. but yeah, I yes. could see. I was there for a conference the previous week. I was there for, uh, you know, three or four days. Then I popped back that Monday. They're like, wait a minute. You were just here. Why are you here so much? Do you live here? Like, what's going on? And I had to show them my business card. And you know, most of us don't even have those anymore. It's all like hey. um, LinkedIn and all that stuff. I happen to have a business card with me and I happened to tell them the customer that I was there to see and I had one of their business cards in my bag to say this is who I'm meeting with and they let me go because the company that I was meeting with is a big company there everyone knows them they're a huge food service chain there and um, I said this is what I'm working on with them it's top secret. So that's why I'm here. And they were like, okay, they let me in. But if I didn't have a business card and the customer's business card, I might have missed the meet. We literally got to the meeting with, I mean, no time to spare. We're running into the front door and we had to let the customer know Sherry was detained. So, yeah, so it's not always glamorous uh, traveling internationally. So. No, it's not. So what other countries have you been to for business? Um, well, I spent some time in, in the Bahamas for business. Nice. Um, yes. We, um, there was a client that we had every year. They would uh, hold a conference there. And so I was able to go and participate in that conference multiple times. Uh -huh. um, I've been, you know, all over the U.S. I've been, you know, to uh, Europe. I mean, just a little bit of everywhere it feels like at this point. Right, right. Okay. Oh, so Germany. I went to Germany. I almost forgot about that. London. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I know, that's I what I figured. Quite a few yeah. places. <laughs> I was in uh, Stuttgart, uh, Germany. Nice. I, that was an interesting trip. Um, yeah. And it's and it's not like I'm traveling with a ton of people, right? It's a, it's a me type of trip meeting someone. So very, very few people were with me. Um, for a lot of these trips so yeah I feel like I've been quite a few places I'd have I should have I should have thought about this more and started to think through my my travel list <laughs> oh no 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 no, no. that's fine because you're coming out with them right now and you don't know which way I'm going to go with questions because <laughs> that's okay it, so yeah now okay so you're in product development and you're launching it in different places around the world what kind of research do you have to do for the local market to make sure it's a wanted or desired product? Um, well, that's where we used a lot of um, local agents to help provide some of those insights. So we may have a product that we're interested in launching in that particular region, but we really relied on the agent to communicate like, oh yes, this is needed. And we would do research there. So 
Um, most of the um, companies I work for have like a new product development center, you know, full in-house resources to do the research, um, really understand market gaps. That's a whole marketing team that would work on something like that and provide those insights back to the team that would launch. So if you're a CEO or owner of a company that has a handful of products and they want to go international, what advice would you give if you don't have a whole team to do that research? I think you get your butt on a plane and you go to the market, <laughs> like you go out to the country in which you're considering. Um, I had a good uh, girlfriend who uh, owns a, a company. She's looking to expand um, outside of the U.S. She uh, hops a flight to Brazil, uh, looked around, met some local people. She spent uh, two weeks there uh, talking to different potential distribution partners, um, evaluating spaces. Uh, talking to them about, you know, the need, uh, going through some local research with some of the, you know, folks she's been coordinating with outside of the U.S. So I think you have to do some legwork um, as an individual, especially as an entrepreneur, when you're looking to, you know, maybe expand outside of the U.S. You, you got to get out there. You have to go and see it for yourself. You can't trust the internet. You can't trust just having a meeting uh, over Zoom. You really need to go out and make sure that the people that you are speaking with have the facilities that they're saying that they have. They have the equipment. They have the manufacturing uh, distribution, you know, network network that you're looking to, you know, have to support your business. You can't, you can't do it from here. Right, right, right. That's good advice and particularly challenging right now, but right. you could be setting up all those relationships. So when you can travel safely, you can hit the ground running. Absolutely. I think, you know, look at us. We met on Clubhouse. We're, you know, networking. We're um, expanding our, you know, horizons, learning from new people. I think this is the perfect time if you're interested in growing your business and interested in expanding internationally. It makes sense that you start to target people in the regions that you would want to work with. Um, have them as a mentor. Have them start to, you know, ask them questions and see if someone can guide you in the space. I like to to network um, with people all over. Um, I'm, I, I participate in uh, networking groups across the country because that's important to me, accelerators, things that I know will help expand my business, my network, so that there are people I can reach to um, at some point when I'm ready. Right, right. Okay, so you were working at Practive, and then you moved on to another couple of companies that were doing um, international business, too. Mm -hmm. So were you networking at, at those places? Always networking. Always. I think you always have to be networking. <laughs> I mean, one of the, the other companies I was working with um, after Pactive is where I got detained because I was in Canada so much. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been throughout my career that I've had to bop around, um, but very much so always networking, keeping yourself open. You never know um, who's going to be the person that you can connect with. Uh, that's going to help point you in the right direction as you're looking to expand and they may know someone. And so, yeah, I think you always want to be networking, whether you're in a corporate space or not. Um, it's just good to meet new people on a regular basis. Okay. So, you know, we're here in the United States. Some people are better at it than others, but you mm -hmm. add the culture and the language thing in it. What recommendations do you have for people that are trying to network across cultures? Well, it depends on where they're starting. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna go into a bar and spark a conversation with someone random, right? And so you have to be very strategic about it. 
Um, what are your goals? Um, who is it that you want to connect with? Why do you want to connect with them? I always recommend get a short list. Identify, you know, five to 10 people that you think could have a real impact um, to move you forward and start to build a relationship with them. You know, business is not built overnight. So it's gonna take quite a bit of time in order to build genuine connections that will lead you to a place where they're able to help you. And so start now. If you're thinking, you know, one or two years off, you wanna start now and build out that short list and, and start to find the right connections. And is it different? I mean, I think of some countries, you could just reach out to somebody. In other countries, you need to have an introduction. Did you run into that at all? Or how did you build your networks? So for me, um, having a background in sales, we never get an introduction. No one's introducing a salesperson. <laughs> like, that's not happening. So you, we're very much all about strategy. You have to, again, who were my top five customers that I wanted to pursue? If I know that there's a product I want to bring to the market from a new, new product development perspective, I have to identify my shortlist. Who are the companies that I think um, can benefit from this, from this product? And um, why do I believe that? And then I test that theory, right? So I reach out and say, hey, I believe that, you know, this product benefits you because I read your, you know, entire um, business plan. You know, I read your, you know, financial statements. I read your uh, end of year report and it stated X, Y, and Z. And it's for this reason, I believe there's an opportunity for us to, we should be connected. Right. And you find the right person to get that message in front of and they're going to confirm or deny. And then you're going to tweak your messaging based on that. And so salespeople never get an introduction. Right. We have to make <laughs> our own introduction. Um, but that's the that's the strategy. Right. You have to do your research. You don't wake up and, you know, send an email and you're connected. No, you have to look into them, be very much um, focused on. You should tell them things they didn't know. I remember walking into a meeting with a customer their uh, annual report came out the Friday before the meeting. So the meeting was Monday, the annual report came out Friday. The weekend, the entire team that was traveling to meet this customer for the first time read their annual report front to back. We uh, shifted our deck to incorporate statistics from the annual report. We um, walked into the meeting better prepared than they were. We told them things about their business they didn't know because they hadn't read it, right? We pulled out insights that they communicated and spoke their language back to them. That's important. That shows thoughtfulness. It shows insightfulness. And it shows that you've taken the time to really get to know us. And I remember them saying to us, like, you know our business better than we do. We haven't read it yet. It just came out, you know, and it shows that we cared, right? It shows that we care enough and that we, we want to be the right partner with you. And here's the steps that we took to get there. And so when we're telling them, you've communicated that you're looking to do X, Y, and Z, and we believe we can help you get there by doing this, you can't argue with it because right. we've got your information and we know what we can provide. And so now let's talk about it and figure out if this is really the right strategic fit. Right, right. Okay. And so that's the feeling that I get about you is you prepare, you understand, you know, and you're not going to show up unprepared. 
I don't, this is the only thing I'm unprepared for. I don't know what you're going to ask me, <laughs> but I'm here for it, right? <laughs> you didn't give me a heads up. You didn't say, this is what we're talking about. We're just talking. So uh, this is the only thing I'm unprepared for, uh, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, but when I walk into a customer meeting, when I, wa- when I walk into a strategy meeting or a business partner that I'm pursuing, there's no way I'm walking in ill-prepared. It's just not going to happen. I had a meeting earlier this week um, with the team, and, and they were introducing themselves to me. And I started to tell them, oh, you know, here's what I know about you. And they said, <laughs> okay, well, said, clearly I did my research. Here's what I know about you. Um, fill in the blanks. And they're like, yeah, you pretty much summed it up, right? It's like, I, I'm never going to come into a situation ill-prepared when I believe that there is a strategic fit between us. I think everyone should be prepared for whatever this, the, the meeting is, the situation is, you should do your homework. Never come in ill-prepared. That is my number one pet peeve. You should have looked up everyone on the invite, even if you don't know them, right? I, I got this meeting invite from one gentleman. He had five people on the list. I'm like, well, who is this? Like, so then I looked them all up. I already knew everyone's title. I already knew everyone's name. I already knew what they likely did within the within the team. So I wasn't surprised when they started to introduce themselves to me. Then it just became a picture or a face-to-face with what I had looked up already online. So do your homework. Make sure that you're prepared. It, it sells you, right? It helps sell you. It helps to show the thoughtfulness um, of you and that you really care about, you know, the meetings that you attend. So for me, that's like the number one thing. I, you know, I've led teams. Um, in my last company, I led a team of almost uh, 12 uh, designers, engineers, salespeople, product managers. I would never let my salespeople go into a meeting if they hadn't looked up everyone that was on the meeting invite, didn't have a clear plan in terms of what we're going to discuss. What's the agenda? What what are you thinking? What are some of the questions that you're preparing to ask? Why are you asking them? Um, do you believe, um, based on what they tell you, what insights do you believe you can glean that support how we move forward? Like, that's the way I want to always prepare my team for meetings. And so that's the way I'm going to be prepared. Did you use that same kind of preparation to learn about cultures before you went in, before you traveled to other places for business? Yeah, I mean... As you can imagine, when you work for a large manufacturing companies, they have a lot of resources to do that for you. And so um, we put a lot of you know, research into areas that we wanted to consider because there were, there were uh, areas we had to rule out. Like this isn't gonna be a good fit. Um, they aren't gonna be aligned with our goals. They may not be able to promote and market it um, the way that we would based on their restrictions in the media or whatever the case may be. And so um, there were some, some, some regions we don't touch. Um, And if we touch them, we don't touch them under our company name. We touch them under a local company name. So that's a technique as well. So maybe the big brand isn't the one that people know that they're buying from. It's white labeled. And so um, they're buying from someone else, but they believe it is, you know, a local uh, company. So there are definitely techniques that you have to employ based on the situation that you find yourself in, depending on the region. 
Wow. Yeah. So if I'm a small business owner, and again, I'm thinking about going out. So there's some place between small and large. And I keep going back to the small and mid-sized business because mm -hmm. less than 1% of U.S. companies export. And of those, 98% of them are small and mid-sized businesses. So as a large business, you've got a bunch of creative people. You've got, you know, support systems behind you. What, um, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious, is there any kind of rules or guidelines around certain countries or certain products or some kind of thinking like that or an example of a product that in one country it was done one way in another country it was done another? So I'm, I'm bringing you down to a specific story. Yeah, I mean, every product category that you see on the retail shelf for uh, packaging in particular, that's the manufacturing side of the business I was in, all of the packaging uh, differs from country to country. You know, there's going to be a different label. They're going to translate it differently. The colors could be different. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all the exact same product. So there's a ton, I mean, manufacturing is all about white label distribution and making sure that um, each region, each country has its own look and feel, but at the end of the day, it all points back to the larger manufacturer. So for any small business that's considering expansion, the main point for them to understand is get a local agent that can help you understand, will your packaging be well received as is, or do you need to make modifications so that it seems more culturally appropriate um, and something that, you know, would, would fall in line with the needs of the market. Okay. Okay. So really leaning on that local agent or local distributor. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And just a reminder that there are federal and state resources to help with this too. Right. Yeah. Did you, uh, I mean, I don't know if large companies could access those resources or you've heard about we them? We had our own. So um, that's not something I actually had to spend a lot of time. By the time it got to me, we were ready to go. Okay. Yeah. So there is like in Massachusetts, it's mass export and New Hampshire, it's the office of international trade. And so every state has a different name, but if you look up your state name and exports or go to our website, you can find local contents and you can get grants to help you. And you can get advisors that can help hook you up with agents. So I think that's really valuable advice is to find somebody in country to get those Absolutely. adaptations made. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they become your mentor. They become your local contact. They're your eyes when you can't be there. Um, and they should be able to report back and give you feedback and never do a large rollout without testing. I mean, if you're not validating the market need first, then you should not be launching. So that means maybe, you know, let's assume you're a makeup company. I don't know. Um, do a small store test. See if you can find a partner that would be willing to test, you know, in a small store and change the label to, to accommodate that to, you know, based on the feedback that you receive. Um, but don't roll out to the entire country and then you're confused as to why no one's purchasing. Um, and it could be online. It could be, you know, whatever the partnership agreement looks like. Um, but just make sure you're, you're validating it prior to launching. I mean, the biggest mistake for most entrepreneurs is, oh, I think this is a great idea and this is a region that I want to, you know, go after. But you haven't done the research to determine if that makes sense. And so you want to always make sure you're doing that first. That is great advice. It's just when you get into a partnership, say, here's what the rollout is going to look like and probably some out clause with them too, if you're not happy with working with them. 
Right. Because what happens if they're not really pushing it the way that you guys discussed, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. excited to work together on the front end, but then are you going to be a great affiliate? Are you going to actually promote it and push it so that it can be successful? And if you're not seeing the results that you want, then it might be time to move around and find a different option. So talk to me about language. You're talking about different packaging and, you know, working with the distributor. How did you guys go about at the different companies you work with uh, handling the translation of the packaging or the user information or whatever you had to do? We had a team. So um, we had a translation team that would uh, actually work on translating packaging. I, I recall very clearly Um, We had to translate a product that we were working on both in the U.S. We had to do English. We also had to do French. We had to do Spanish, um, you know, for the region that we were evaluating. And so it looked very similar, um, but the colors were different. Uh, the, The scripting was different just to be more in line with the needs of that market. So, again, as I mentioned, every, you know, product and retail likely is the exact same product with different packaging um, based on where it's being positioned. Oh, interesting. So you had an internal translation team or did you outsource that? Internal, internal. On all three of the companies? That you well, the, the last um, company that I worked for um, did not do a ton of international, but what they did do is, well, they did a little bit. Um, they weren't necessarily a manufacturer that um, created stock products. Everything that they did was custom. Oh, okay. By the time it got to us, it was exactly what the customer uh, needed. It's more of a toll converting type relationship versus an actual manufacturer that's out creating stock items that someone would buy on retail. Okay. But then, okay, so they probably didn't have as much translation need because they were the subcontractor behind but then the other two companies really had it internal they did wow okay so they were they were huge oh billions billions (laughs) billions billion dollar companies yeah the first one yeah the first one was uh, a little over two billion when i was there the second one um was closer to uh three when i left because they had a merger both of them had mergers so uh, a couple of the big ones had mergers, which makes them behemoths. So they've got money to have uh, some of those resources internal. So you go from these behemoth companies to st- an entrepreneur startup. Yeah. And I love oh. everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so talk me through, and it wasn't even in the industry that you were in. So you're yeah. working at this big company and all of a sudden you go, I'm going to start this company. Tell me about why and what was going on then. And then we'll get into what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, my family is very much an entrepreneur family. My mom is an entrepreneur. She owns her own, you know, non-emergency medical transportation company. My uncles are entrepreneurs. Like I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs my entire life. You know, I watched my mom have, you know, her own nine to five, but, you know, own an administrative, you know, company of her own. So entrepreneurship has always been around me. So I've always felt like, you know, at some point I'm going to have to do my own thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know, you know, when I'm going to do it, but I've got to do something. I mean, I'm creative enough. I've got to do something. Um, But I'll tell you, the transition to what I'm doing did not come from an exciting place. It came from a very difficult experience. So 
um, my sister actually passed away in 2015 at the age of 36. And she was unmarried and um, finalizing her personal affairs became my responsibility. And so my mom was not in a place that she was able to do that. And so mm -hmm. I had to do it. And it took us almost two years to unravel her affairs and it was overwhelming. And so I started to think there's gotta be a solution in the market to solve for this in the future for my family and really couldn't find anything. So having a strong background in sales and marketing and research and development for all of these mid to large size manufacturing companies, it's not out of my wheelhouse to bring in resources to create something, right? It's not right. a big stretch for me to um, network, to find technical talent and resources to help me come up with a prototype and then think about the strategy to launch. So that's not a big stretch. It's different right. in terms of the content, but it's really no different than what I've been doing my entire career from a new product development perspective and launching. So um, that is how this, this platform was built. Um, and I, you know, had said my husband and I, the company was founded back in 2017. Again, she passed away in 2015. And this idea came to me and, you know, came, I was kicking it around for about a year and I finally incorporated in 2017 and said, I have to start doing something about it. Um, and that's when I started to network. That's when I started to um, put some resource dollars uh, to the side to support it. Um, you know, being the vice president of sales and marketing for a company, I'm getting really great bonuses that I started to, you know, put a little bit away to uh, support the initiative and, and make sure that I had the funding to, to do exactly what I wanted to do. And so um, this is just a, an output of the work that I put in privately for some years. Um, and so we launched uh, privately in November of 2019. We launched uh, publicly in uh, March of 2020 and have been, you know, going up and up and up every since and are in discussions for some amazing uh, strategic partnerships with um, companies large companies, which I can't quite talk about yet, but um, just a great, it's been great to be able to support families. So Life Snapshot uh, is the name of the platform. It's a digital storage vault that helps families organize and securely store personal assets, final wishes, and critical documents so that their loved ones can easily find them while navigating, you know, end of life or even hospitalization. So it doesn't necessarily have to be death, but it um, is part of, you know, hospitalization and end of life. So throughout this pandemic, we've had members that were hospitalized. And so for those that had their advanced directives or, you know, medical power of attorneys, on file, we were able to share them with their loved ones while they were incapacitated. So that's that's the part of, that's the biggest part of it. So it's not just technology, but it's also a service um, to really be in partnership with our customers to meet their needs when they need it and be a voice when they can't necessarily speak on their own behalf. So really excited about it. It's a, it's a struggle sometimes just because it's so personal to me, um, but it, it was birthed out of a tough, situation but it has it's a it's everything I wish I had when we lost her and all of the things that you know any family would need in order to to work through this type of situation that is amazing I mean you go from a why of a difficult situation and I hadn't put together that you had done the product management, which is exactly what you did to develop this technology and then your marketing and sales background with it. 
Wow, what a story. And this to launch during COVID, it's such a, you know, hard time as people are saying, but you've had great success. So now- It's interesting though, because we didn't know COVID was on the horizon. We Mm -hmm. launched before COVID. So the pan, you know, we launched March 3rd, the pandemic hit at the end of the month is when we started shutting down the country. Um, We pulled back our marketing efforts a little bit because we didn't, we didn't know what this was. It felt like, oh my God, this, we don't want to seem opportunistic that we're launching this product in the, you know, as this pandemic is unfolding, like, will people trust the platform? Like, that was the question. Like, who would, uh, people don't know we've been working on this for three years and now we're here. Um, But we had, um, we launched you, we had a waiting list from November. And so people were like, I'm signing up, like sign me up. And so we started to, people started to sign up. We started to be able to support families and the word started to spread because it's a needed resource and people hadn't heard of it. Um, You know, if you think about Google or Gmail, that's a vault, right? But it doesn't walk you through the process of questioning you to say, what happens along the way? Our platform- Wait, wait, wait. So, 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 so I want to, what's the website? It's uh, www.life snapshot.com. Okay. So you decide you want one play, like it would have been so much easier. And I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. That's way too young. At that point, if she had had it, you would have been able to go to www.lifesnapshot.com, look her up and gotten her information. You would have had to have a password because it's got to be secure connection. Yeah, so the way that the platform works is um, when a member signs up, they answer three questions, right? What are your Mm -hmm. asset categories? What files, you know, that's part of the first question, first two questions. There's There's three steps. So the first step is what are your asset categories? Do you have any personal final wishes? And then what documents will you be uploading, right? That's step one. Okay. They're all, these are all check boxes. So it's not like you have to figure it out. It's, there's, there's, options for you to choose from. Okay. The second step asks you, who are your designated contacts? So had my sister had life snapshot, she'd have likely put myself down. She might've listed her attorney and she may have listed my mom, right? We would have been her three designated contacts. And then the final step asks, how do you want us to communicate with you? If something were to happen, you know, what methods are we approved to utilize to get in contact with you? And how often do you want us to communicate with you? Um, And because that's important because we're not just a technology company. We conduct monthly or quarterly well-being checks. So let's assume my sister had a passed away and no one knew that she was a member of Life Snapshot. She had monthly check-ins. When we reached out to her, if we didn't hear from her within the predetermined amount of time, which all of our members know what that is, they know we then escalate our concern to their designated contacts. So if, we didn't, if she didn't respond for her monthly check-in, then we would have reached out to her designated contacts to conduct a well-being check to say, hey, is everything okay? And they would say, no not okay she just passed away like what the heck we'd say so sorry we just sent you a code can you read the code back to us we need to confirm who you are yes their information is automatically linked their email is automatically linked to all of her files all of her you know snapshot report with the press of a button our team shares it with them that's it so if 
she had passed away having life snapshot, there's absolutely no way we wouldn't have gotten the information because that well-being check would have prompted us to then escalate our concern to her designated contacts. So that's the way it works. Or had she been a member and told her loved ones, hey, if anything happens to me, reach out to Life Snapshot, they have all the information, then they would have called us and we, again, would have confirmed their identity, uh, confirmed their you know information, sent them a code, they would read it back, we would get the information to them. So that's how simple the process is. We didn't want to just have technology. We want to humanize this experience. We want to make sure that there's a voice that you feel like can walk you through, can answer questions. We can't see the content within our members' files. We can't see the content of their snapshot report. We just see the report. We know it's there. We also know their completion status of all of the activities behind the scenes. So why does that matter? It matters because the snapshot report, if it says 80%, then we're able to say, hey, unfortunately, the member only completed 80%. So there might be a few assets you still need to look into, um, but all of their files are listed at 100%. So all their documents are here. Hopefully there's a will, you'll be able to get access to that. Again, press up a button, they have everything within seconds. Dang, that's amazing. That is <laughs> such a creative solution, particularly with so many people living on their own. Right. Um, and, so, and those that are traveling, think about yes. all of the people that are traveling, they're single um, or they're married, but they're outside of the U.S. Um, and they need to have all of their documents in order for both the U.S. and maybe the, the new country that they're in. And maybe their designated contact isn't in the new country. Um, you could have, you know, contacts in multiple regions um, as your designated contact. We recommend at least three, um, you know, but you have to have at least one. So um, and then there's a there's a section within the platform that's all about helpful contacts. So who are the helpful contacts? You know, that's my actually my favorite um, document in the entire platform, because that's like, who's your you know, who are all the people that if something were to happen to me, I would want you to call. It could be your pastor. It could be your job. It could be your benefit center. It could be, you know, your doctor, it, whomever you, you know, would have liked to have a laundry list of. We, she was a business owner. She um, had a company. We had to figure out how to dissolve her company. We had, to, we had to figure out how to reach out to her employees. We had to figure out how to get in touch with clients. Like it was a big ordeal when she passed, you know, at such a young age as a single person. Who, no one is, no one knows all of this information except you. And so just to have that key contact list, the helpful contact list, that would have been a tremendous help for us. Um, and so again, that's one of my favorite sections um, in the platform. This is amazing. I mean, I can just think, I can think of so many people just in the industry that this would be good for. So who are you targeting right now? So, I mean, right now we're selling um, B2C, but we're um, really focused on uh, strategic partnerships. So um, with large financial services, insurance uh, companies, uh, those that are in that space because it's a natural progression. Um, but again, we right. sell B2C, so anyone can sign up and, and we wanted it to be uh, affordable. So you can sign up for as little, first of all, we have a free trial. You can sign up for a free 14 day trial at no, you know, no risk and no obligation. Um, but it starts as little as $14.99 a month. So um, it's not terribly expensive. It fits every budget. Um, we had a celebrity client that signed up for the platform last year um, and, uh, you know, said, hey, you know, we would have, if you would have had this as a, um, you know, lifetime plan, I would have bought that. We didn't think about that. 
So, oh my gosh. You know, I would have just bought it and never thought about it again. So we added that as well. So there, the pricing range is anywhere from $14.99 all the way up to um, $5,000. Um, but there's always, you know, some savings there. So yeah, it really can fit any budget. You're talking $14.99, I always say, is the cost of two Starbucks coffees and a lemon loaf. Like, we can all afford that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yes. All right, so now you've done all this international business, and you've launched a platform that I can see huge global potential for this because it affects a lot of people in this world. I can't say everybody, but a lot. Yeah. What is your plans for taking it international? Yeah, so right now we're, you know, we're selling in the US, we're selling in Canada, and we, we have a UK customer. <laughs> so, my, my one UK customer, one or two, I think. Um, and so yeah, we are open to expansion. As you mentioned to me once before, you said, well, you're only, you've only launched in English speaking regions. And I said, well, that's why I networked with you. <laughs> so, that, so that when I'm ready, <laughs> I'll be able to, you'll be able to translate everything into a uh, other languages. But, awesome. You know, <laughs> we're a couple years off from that, but it definitely is something that, you know, we'll, we'll identify regions that we think make sense and um, culturally can benefit from it and would likely utilize it. Um, but there's some work to do there. So yeah, it's definitely on the horizon um, and we'll, we'll definitely stay connected on it. Okay. So you'll take it through the same process that you used at your large companies. I'm going to research it. I'm going to look for regions. I'm going to look for people who have the propensity to do it because there's some, there's, there's some languages that don't have a future tense. And ironically, those cultures end up saving more money than the ones that have, like we have a future tense, but you know, people in the US aren't known for high savings. So, but there is a correlation between that. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what regions and what places yeah. um, you end up launching into. I would never expand without research. So uh, I'll have run it through a full gamut of testing to determine what the appropriate regions are for the company. And did you, um, build the platform so it could handle translation because this is a huge thing that I see with some technology companies that they build it and there's so much going on with the building it they're not thinking about the you know globalization of the platform yeah I don't know that we did right like honestly I don't know that we structured it to think of that but it doesn't feel like it would be challenging because the way that it is developed there are uh, multiple interfaces and so we could easily copy it change the language change the colors um, and make the adjustment so I don't think it would be difficult um, but I don't know that it was top of mind you know early on when we were in development but no it's a good thing to mention yeah, no, I like that how you were talking about the platform. You could change it and then just make sure you use a font that is very common. Don't get too fancy because right. then it's easier to just uh, plug the translation in then. Yeah, well, this is fascinating. I'll definitely share uh, your company name around. So remember, it's uh, lifesnapshot.com and we'll have it in the show notes. Now I'd like to switch to getting to know about you a little bit more. Yeah. So we asked this on the uh, Clubhouse Global Marketing Room this morning. So we, we missed you there, but I yeah. know you had something going on. <laughs> What's your favorite foreign word? Um, well, I like hello um, because I know it in, uh, you know, I know uh, 
Bonjour. I know ni hao. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Hola. <laughs> um, so I like hello because I've got a couple translations for that. So yeah, that's my favorite is a little hello. <laughs> oh, I love that. And of course, the bonjour comes out first. <laughs> of course. That's what I'm good at. That's what I got the A in. <laughs> Did you notice the Spanish was Laugh. Oh, I, I completely Chinese beam became for uh, Spanish. So yeah. yes, I, <laughs> yeah, I love how if I say you know hola, then they someone will start to speak more, and I'll say um, poquito, <laughs> That's all I have. <laughs> well, I remember being in the Netherlands and walking down the street, and somebody started speaking to me in Dutch, and I shook my head because I didn't understand at all. Then I think they switched into German, and I shook my head, and I didn't do that. Now, if they'd gone into Spanish, French, or Italian, I might have had a fighting chance. I just shook my head. So finally, she went into English, and I'm like, okay, we are just so illiterate on languages here in the That's United right. States. You're right. It's, when you travel abroad and you see the people that are able to speak multiple languages, especially when you're at the resorts, you know, like, you know, I've been to several resorts across the country and they speak every language. I mean, they're like talking to people, from, not just from the U.S. and their local, their native language. They're talking to everyone. I'm like, how do you do that? It's so amazing. So I'm always envious of foreign language. My, I try to get my daughter to really get into French. She was kind of like over it. Yes. <laughs> so after the trip, she was kind of over it. She liked being there and using words yeah. um, during the trip, but she kind of gave up on it once we got home and settled. And so I just would, I want her to take that in. I want her to know everything. I want her, my good girlfriend knows Mandarin and um, I just love to hear her like someone will say something and she'll just jump in and they don't expect it. I You're love right. that. I want to be that person. <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> hey, you from this from this conversation, I can tell you have a lot of skills, so you're not lacking anywhere. And besides, you know, I have to say this with a good interpreter, you can speak to anybody in the right, world. Right, right. Well, give me a good app that I can take with me. Like, what's your recommendation on that? <laughs> well, for vacation, use Google Translate. Okay. I mean, that's still the best. Um for just quick communications. But, it, you know, when you start talking about your technology and your website and anything that is, you know, any legal contracts or ex expanding with distributors, make sure you have a professional do it and not, and not relying on your distributors to do it. It's the companies you work for, they didn't. You, your distributors can sell, but they can't do the marketing communications. Right. So. But yeah, yeah. When you go to your Spanish-speaking upcoming vacation, pull out Google Translate, and that'll get you by. Or try your French. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. <laughs> we'll see what works. <laughs> uh -huh. So how about speaking of vacation and traveling, what's been your favorite vacation? You know, I really did like um, Paris because it was such a surprise for my daughter um, and just like her, that experience for her. Um, but beyond that, I, you know, we went to, we've been to Puerto Rico, we've been to the Dominican, we've been to, you know, Cancun, we've been to Cabo, um, I've been to Germany, I've been to London. I liked London a lot. Um, I liked being able to just walk around. Um, I love the fashion. I love everything about yeah. the subway. I, I mean, I just think it's such a beautiful, uh, area. So yeah, 
I have so many amazing, you know, travel experiences, but I do love the fashion in London. <laughs> okay. I, I would say maybe those two. Yeah, I took my my boys to London a couple of years ago, and we had a fabulous time. I had yeah. been a number of times before for business and, you know, like other trips, and I just didn't fall in love with the city as much as I did this time, and I'm like, okay, I have completely connected with London. It was yeah. fabulous. Yeah, and seeing, traveling from a kid's perspective is so different. Like, we're, yeah. when we're traveling for business, we're, like, hustling, we're on our phones, yeah. we're trying to get to the next destination, like, we're looking around, trying to take in a couple sites, but it's not the same as when you're traveling with your little one who's never been, and they're listening to these, you know, this new language and they're seeing all this this different culture it's just a different experience it makes you slow down take it all in absorb it with them you know and I just love that yes yes I do too because they pick up on funny little things you might not notice and we ended up at the zoo and we went to the London Zoo we went to a zoo in India my my you know now 17 year old has always loved animals and zoos and so you had a fabulous experience yeah. there. Yeah. My daughter, I, I just remember her dancing on the beach in Jamaica um, because they were like out there playing some bongos or whatever. And there's just the cutest. She just gets up, joins in with the band, starts dancing around and just had the best time ever. So I love the impromptu moments that kids yeah. experience that we just kind of don't as adults. So. Right, right. And how about your most rewarding cross-cultural experience in work? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Like, what are yeah. you? What are you getting after? What are you? What are you? What are you thinking? Like, what's? Uh, you know, when I ask the, the question, question. <laughs> yeah, I get funny stories about something people didn't expect. Like, I had a an old boss who he had an interpreter that he kind of uh, played around with and it was in Japan and the interpreter, you know, like, so they would j joke around, but she was also a cultural advisor to him. So mm -hmm. she said, okay, we're going into this meeting. It's with a high level person. You're really supposed to get down on your knees. And he was like, ha 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 ha. But in that situation, it was appropriate to do it. But you know, that, that whole moment of, you know, I'm feeling out of place. How do I handle that? Or, Somebody talked about um, a guy saying to a bunch of women talking about them wearing pants in business and they were in the UK and trousers or pants, what we call in the US and pants is undergarments. And so just, you know, the guy turning B red when he understood the difference in the word. So, you know, right. something, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it might have been um, when they slaughtered the pig and had him on the table in Germany. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't eat pork like this. And so um, they thought I was crazy because that's like a big thing. And it's kind of an honor, I guess. I don't know. But I declined. I didn't know that that was a thing. So when they were asking me, oh, would you like some? I said, oh, no, thanks. I'll take the soup. I'll take the whatever. Um, and they were like all shocked. Like they ordered it because of me, right? I was their guest. I didn't realize oh, no. that. So there are things like that that happen. But I mean, I'm really not into pork. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> not like that. I need them to be chopped and smothered and like a little different. <laughs> it just it was something I could fully support. I did try to take a little piece out of, you know, honor for the experience, but I really couldn't eat it. And I just can't see my, I can't see my pig like that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
That is funny. That is funny. You know, with people who grew up going to pork roast or something here in the United States yes. might not have. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good one. And I understand yeah. it completely. You never know what food you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming down to the end of our time. Do you have any, have any final recommendations for our listeners? You know, my recommendation is always, you know, follow your truth, you know, make sure that you're living a life that it feels good to you and it's on your terms, whether that's in business or entrepreneur, working for a company or working as an entrepreneur. And I just wish everyone well and much success and, you know, always like to be a resource. So I look forward to these chats every Friday in the international business group room. And so I look forward to just, you know, being able to help anyone that I can. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh, well, it's so wonderful to have you here, Sherry. And so, you know, visitors, remember to go check out www.lifesnapshot.com. And if people want to reach out to you directly for partnerships or for any for networking, how can yes. they reach you? <laughs> they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm recently added myself to Instagram, so you can feel free to follow me there as well. So it's all Sherry Williams Franklin. Um, but yes, please reach out via LinkedIn or Instagram. Feel free to follow Life Snapshot Inc. across all social media platforms. Um, you'll be able to reach out to me. So look forward to networking. Okay. And that's Sherry with C-H-E-R-I Williams Franklin. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, listeners, for listening. I hope you learned something today. It's fascinating to me to hear about the large manufacturers and how they reach out. And just remember, if you're smaller or mid-sized, to look into the um, federal trade or the State Department or your local state to find out or reach out to me. I'm always happy to point you in the direction of your local state contact about getting um, free advice and grants to help you go international. So follow us on your favorite podcast listening app, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and, and uh, share it with anybody who you think might be interested. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.